are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And if you want to discuss today's readings on Facebook with others, find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group and interact in different posts that you're able to make. Today is day number 68. We are reading from chapter 12, paragraphs 590 to 598. We will finish the chapter today. 590. Of her clemency and meekness, Solomon says that the law of clemency is on her tongue, Proverbs 31.26. She never moved it except in order to let flow the grace poured out on her lips, Psalm 44.3. Meekness regulates wealth and clemency moderates punishment. There was no anger in our most mild queen, nor did she use the faculty of it, except, as we have said above, in order to lend fortitude to her activity against sin and the devil or the like. But against men and the angels, she made no use of anger or the purpose of punishing them, nor was she moved to anger by any event, nor did she ever, on any account, interrupt her most perfect practice of meekness, preserving inimitable equanimity, both interiorly and exteriorly. Neither did she ever show outward signs of inward anger in her countenance, in her voice, or in her movement. Her mildness and clemency the Lord made use of as an instrument peculiarly his own, and through it he wished to scatter all his benefits of his ancient and everlasting mercies, On this account, it was necessary that the clemency of Mary should imitate so closely his own, as to make it a fit channel for the overflow of his divine clemency toward the creatures. When we consider attentively and once have understood well the works of the divine mercy toward sinners, and when we see that the most holy Mary was a fit instrument of their distribution and application, we will then partly understand the clemency of this lady, All her corrections were undertaken more by pleading, teaching, and admonishing them by chastisement. She herself besought the Lord, and he ordained that this be her course of action, for this incomparable creature was to be the fountain of clemency and the depository of the law of clemency, of which his majesty should avail himself, and from which mortals should draw this virtue as well as the others. 591. To discourse worthily of the other virtues, especially of the humility and of the frugality and of the poverty of Most Holy Mary, many books and the tongues of angels would be required. Of these ineffable virtues of Mary, this history is replete, for in all actions of the Queen of Heaven, her incomparable humility shines forth beyond everything else. I fear extremely to understate the greatness of this singular virtue in the Blessed Virgin, by trying to encompass in the limited terms at my disposal that ocean of humility which was able to contain and embrace the incomprehensible and immense himself. All that the angels and the saints themselves could comprehend and practice of the virtue of humility cannot equal even the least part of that which our queen attained therein. Which of the saints or angels could ever merit the title of Mother of God? And who beside Mary and the Eternal Father could ever address the Incarnate Word as Son? If then she, who in this regard attained to a dignity like that of the Eternal Father, and possessed the graces and gifts befitting such a state, reputed herself as the last of all creatures, and all the rest as her superiors, 
What fragrance and odor of virtue did this humble spikenard exhale for the delight of God while she bore in her womb the king of kings? Canticle 111, 592. That the pillars of heaven, the angels, Job 26, should quake and tremble in the presence of the inaccessible light of the infinite majesty is not to be wondered at. For they had before their eyes the ruin of their companions, while they themselves were confirmed in the advantages and favors common to all, that the most valiant and invincible of the saints should humiliate themselves, embracing contempt and reproach, and acknowledging themselves unworthy of the least favors of grace, and even of the service and succor of the events outside themselves. All this was most just and only according to the natural order of things, For all of us have sinned and infringed on the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And no one is so holy that he cannot increase in sanctity, nor so perfect that some virtue is not wanting in him, nor so innocent that the eyes of God find nothing to reprehend. And if anyone should be of consummate perfection, he nevertheless would still remain within the sphere of the common graces and benefits, since no one is superior to all in all things. 5.93 But just on this account, the humility of the most pure Mary was without example and without equal. For though she was the dawn of grace, the pure beginning of all creatures, the superior over them all, the prodigy of the divine perfections, the center of his love, the sphere of the omnipotence of God, who called God her son and was called by him his mother, she nevertheless humbled herself to the lowest place in all of creation. She who enjoyed the highest position, exalted above all the works of God, so that no higher position was left for a mere creature, humiliated herself so far as to judge herself unworthy of the least estimation." distinction, or honor, not even of such as would befit the most insignificant of the rational creatures. Not only did she deem herself unworthy of the dignity of being the mother of God and of all the graces connected therewith, but she did not esteem herself deserving of the air she breathed, of the support the earth gave to her footsteps, of the sustenance derived from it, or of any service or kindness at the hands of creatures. Of all things, she considered herself unworthy, and she gave thanks for all as if she were really so undeserving. In order to say all in a few words, that a creature should not seek the honor which does not belong to it, or which for some reason it does not merit, is not such a great humility. Although the Most High is in his infinite kindness, accepts it, and considers himself under obligation, to one who practices it in this way. But she most admirably exceeding all this, while deserving all exaltation and majesty, humiliated herself more than all other creatures, and sought neither honor nor exaltation. Thus Mary, holding worthily the dignity of the mother of God, annihilated herself, and by this very humility deserved anew an injustice to be raised to the dominion and sovereignty of all creation. 594. In proportion to this incomparable humility, Most Holy Mary possessed also all the other virtues which belong to modesty. The desire of knowing more than is necessary ordinarily arises from the want of humility and charity. This is a fault not only of no use but of great hindrance in the advancement of virtue, as happened with Dina, 
Genesis 34.1, who going out to see what was no benefit to her suffered such great damage to her honor. From the same roof of proud presumption usually also springs superfluous ostentation and finery and outward dress, and also the disorderly behavior and gesture and carriage, which serves sensuality and vanity, testifying to the levity of the heart according to the saying of Ecclesiasticus, 1927, the attire of the body and the laughter of the teeth and the gait of the man show what he is. All the virtues opposed to these vices were in Most Holy Mary in their entirety, void of all disinclination or feebleness in the exercise of them. They were like companions of her profound humility, charity, and purity that revealed the certain tokens of a nature more heavenly than earthly. 595. She was most studious without being curious, for though she was replete with a wisdom far above that of the cherubim, she studied and allowed herself to be taught as if ignorant of all things. Whenever she made use of her divine science or sought to learn the will of God, she was so prudent and attended so carefully and exactly to all circumstances that her efforts always wounded the heart of God and drew and inclined him to fulfill her most well-ordered wishes. In poverty and frugality she was the most admirable, for being the mistress of all creation and having full right to dispose of it, she yielded all right of possession to the Lord in imitation of her most holy Son. Namely, just as the Father gave all things into his hands of the incarnate Word, so the Word put all into the hands of his Mother. And she similarly offered all things as well in desire as in fact for the glory of her Son and Lord. Of the modesty of her behavior and sweetness of her intercourse, and of all her exterior actions, it is sufficient to repeat what is asserted by the wise man of Athens, St. Dionysius, that she would have deserved to be looked upon as more than human if faith did not teach that she is a mere creature. Instruction vouchsafed by the Queen of Heaven. 596. My daughter, thou hast said something of the virtue of temperance and of my practice of it, so far as thou hast understood its dignity and excellence. Yet thou hast omitted much that belongs to a full understanding of the necessity of the temperance in human actions. It was a punishment of the first sin, that man lost the perfect use of reason, and that the passion should rise in rebellion against him, because he rose up against God in contempt of his most just command. In order to repair the damage, temperance became necessary. By it, man restrains his concupiscences with proper bounds, he perceives the perfect medium in that which is desirable, and he is taught to follow once more the dictates of reason, bringing him near to the divinity and declining to follow his concupiscences like irrational beasts. Without this virtue, it is not possible for man to divest himself of the soiled human nature, nor to dispose himself for the graces and wisdom of God, for they will not enter into a soul subject to the body of sin. Wisdom one four. He that knows how to moderate his passions by denying them by their immoderate and bestial desires will be able to say and experience the truth, what is said of Canticles 2.4, that the king has introduced him into the cellars of his delicious wine and into the treasure house of his wisdom and spiritual gifts. For this virtue is a storehouse of most beautiful and fragrant virtues for the delight of the Almighty. 597. Although, of course, I wish thee to labor much in acquiring all virtues pertaining to temperance, I desire nevertheless that thou consider especially the beauty and fragrance of chastity, 
the strength which abstinence and sobriety in eating and drinking will give, the sweet influence of modesty in words and actions, the exalted nobility of poverty in the use of created things. With the help of these virtues thou wilt attain the divine enlightenment, the peace and tranquility of thy soul, the serenity of thy faculties, the right government of thy inclinations. Thou wilt be entirely illumined with the splendors of the divine graces and gifts from an animal and sensual way of living thou wilt be raised to a heavenly intercourse and an angelic life. And that is what I seek in thee, and what thou thyself, by divine assistance, art striving after. Be careful, therefore, my dearest, and watch for the divine light in all thy actions, and let not any of the powers be induced to activity merely by pleasure and inclination. But always act according to reason, for the glory of the Most High, in all things necessary for the conduct of life in eating and sleeping and dressing and speaking and hearing and desiring and correcting and commanding and speaking, let all be governed in thee by the light and the pleasure of the Lord God, and not by his own. 598. And in order that thou mayest so much the more be captivated by the beauty and loveliness of the virtue of temperance, consider the vileness of its contrary vices, and let thyself be deeply impressed according to the divine light given thee, Consider assiduously how ugly, abominable, horrible, and monstrous the world is in the sight of God and the saints on account of the enormous abominations which men commit against this lovable virtue. Look how some follow like brutes after the horrors of sensuality, how gluttony degrades others, how some follow after pleasures of play and vanity, how others are dominated by pride and presumption, how many are entangled in avarice and the desire of gain, how they all follow the impulse of passions, seeking in this life only pleasure, while in the life to come they pile up for themselves eternal torments and incur the loss of the beatific vision of their God and Lord. This concludes our reading for today, day 68, in which we read from Book 2, Chapter 12, paragraphs 590 to 598. Whenever we talk about the virtues, it seems like a good opportunity to examine our consciences. Mary, in the virtue of temperance, in which Maria Vagrida brings out anger, she writes this, But against men and the angels she made no use of anger for the purpose of punishing them, nor was she moved to anger by any event, nor did she ever on any account interpret her most perfect practice of meekness. When's the last time you got angry? Who did you get angry with? About what were you angry it might be something to think about. What makes you angry? Why would you raise your voice? If we come to an awareness of these things, well, then we're able to in the future then, when some moment where I'm going to get angry and I might yell at a person, well, then maybe our passion will be calmed just a little bit as we recall the invitation to be temperate as we recall the fact that we should lessen our anger, recalling that Mary never became angry. We know that Jesus turned over tables in the temple. We call that righteous anger in a sense. He was doing it for a purpose to purify the temple of God. But we strive to put away anger and to be more loving in our words and in our actions.
Mary humiliated herself more than all other creatures and sought neither honor nor exaltation. So here we're talking about pride. So we temper our pride. What makes you prideful? What do you boast about? How can you humble yourself more readily rather than singing your own praises? Mary, in her humility, gives everything back to God. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then finally, we heard in the instruction today from Mary, He that knows how to moderate his passions by denying them, their immoderate and bestial desires will be able to say and experience in truth what is said of the canticles, and so forth. But... The reason why we train ourselves, the reason why we make choices, again, go back to yesterday's example, choosing the smaller steak on a menu when I go out to eat. Well, that is tempering, that's moderating my passion. I want the larger steak, but I know that I don't need it. And so I'm choosing something lesser because in doing so, It's going to give honor to God. It's training us. It's why we want to do these actions of controlling, you know, eating less, drinking less, whatever the case might be, that when we control small things in our life, well, then when it comes to the big things, we're going to be able to make large strides in overcoming those things if we can be successful with small things. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.